if you would be a dad, you would tell your children to go to sleep. No, I wouldn't. I would let my kids party the whole entire night. That is the first conflict that dads have to talk to their children about. And I see the ones who are out of practice. I see the sleeping beauties when they come into Besden or they come into a mediation room. And those people are, it's very difficult to help those people who have never dealt with conflict in a healthy way. Episode two, when we disagree, we're in a conflict. Most of us have found ourselves in a conflict before. Unless you live under a rock, you've found yourself in a conflict before, whether that be in our personal lives, work, or in society as a whole. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss being in conflict and how to approach it. Is avoiding conflict healthy? Is it better to confront it, especially when you don't need necessarily to have a resolution? Is it good to talk with others, friends, family, people in our community about our conflict? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Can fresh perspectives and different approaches to the situation, people who see your blind spots, help you through that conflict? Or can we just laden ourselves down with unnecessary and unqualified advice or damage the other relationships people have with the person we're in conflict in, creating a situation where people feel like they have to choose sides? How do we approach internal conflict versus external conflict? And which conflicts come from within us and which conflicts come from us? You know, one of the things I found uh, when you're when I'm watching people in conflict, like I'm staying outside and yeah. I'm trying to watch it like this third party, non-biased person. And I start thinking like, what's the foundation of this conflict? And if it would have been hit early on, would have been manifested to something different. Like, could this issue that they're discussing and they're fighting about, which we have no clue what they're really fighting about. So let's say they're fighting about maintenance or child support, right. whatever it is. But we know it's really just some hidden subconscious or unconscious sure. deep fight if they would have started discussing that earlier yeah. on would have it led to less resentment and easier time in successfully resolving the conflict you know when when my uh, my son was a little boy i was heading off to work one day and and he was too young to understand what divorce was at the time um but i was i was trying to explain to him what i do for a living you know and he said, um, you know, Dad, what, what are you doing today? And I said, well, today I have to do a lot of paperwork. I have to do what's called discovery. And he said, what's discovery? And I said, it's, well, it's, on one level, it's people exchanging financial documentation. And on another level, it's what you get when you leave the toilet seat up for 10 years. <laughs> because I think at the end of the day, that, that's actually what it is. Like, the, you know, conflict is rarely about the thing that people say they're arguing about, right? Like, like I, but right before we started recording today, I was on the phone with a client, and the client is talking to me about Passover visitation with, uh, you know, with a child. And this is an interfaith marriage, so my client is not Jewish and they're married to a Jewish person. And now that they're divorced, you know, they're arguing over who should have the kids for particular holidays. And this year, 2022, we have a, a unique opportunity, and that is that Passover and Easter are falling at the same time. So it's like, whose God gets to, I mean, it's the same God, <laughs> but whose who's choice, whose religion trumps the other, you know? Um, and and it's, it's a really, what they're fighting about is not how many hours each of them gets. What they're fighting about is the, the million little conflicts, like no single raindrop's responsible for the flood, you know? It's, it's all these little raindrops is what they're fighting over. But I think that the bigger question that you're asking there is, you know, when is conflict healthy? And when is conflict toxic? And when is the internal conflict and the external conflict 
out of sync with each other, right? Because so much of my time, and I'm sure yours as well, is people coming in and saying to me, I'm here to fight about this, is the internal conflict what's happening and the actual, you know, the actual conflict that they purport to be there. Are they arguing really about the same thing? Are we arguing about the, 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 the trees, but really we're arguing about the forest? And, and I, I mean, that's something I've observed countless times, and I'm interested from where you're sitting if it's the same thing. Of course, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I, I fully, I never believe the argument that people are articulating is actually the argument that's bothering them. Mm. I just don't think people are genuine enough to do that. And if they are, they wouldn't be in that situation. They wouldn't be getting through a divorce. But why, you know, but I, I, I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like that's a function of the fact that people don't want to admit that they're in conflict while they're married. Like they only when it's unavoidable, right? Only when we've reached this point where now we're getting divorced, I can just throw at you. Like anybody who's been married for more than 30 seconds knows you're having a conversation with your spouse about what's the best way to butter the toast. Like, you know, do you let the butter get soft and then you do it? Or do you put the butter on it before the toaster? Or like, what's the better? And five minutes later, it's like, and I never liked your mother. And you're, wait, what? Like, how did we get, how long have you been carrying that around? Like, like this is, how did we get there? And, and, some of that, I think, is a function of people thinking conflict is a dirty word, that my marriage should be devoid of conflict. In our last episode, we talked about, you know, can you avoid conflict? A conflict-free marriage doesn't exist. A conflict-free life doesn't exist. A conflict-free day doesn't exist. So if we know we're going to have conflict, and if we know we're going to have conflict in our marriage, why are we so afraid of talking about conflict? Is conflict potentially a healthy thing? You know, I, I love the question because there, you know, when you, when you, when you study in school and there, there are so many people who study the Talmud, there's actually a rule book of how to decipher the Talmud. It's not like just like these open cryptic words that you could say. It's not like Nietzsche, you know, open cryptic words that you could say whatever you want. There, there, there are rules to, to what you're allowed to say, and these rules are very, very, very important. The 13th rule is this rule. When you have two verses that contradict each other, bring the third one and it will prove which is right. Which means that it seems like one of the rules how you're supposed to study is try to find the two extremes and then center it. Okay. So like it's like really straw, straw man and steel man. Straw man that. and steel man. Like okay. let, let's see how radical you could go all the way to the right and all right. the way to the left and then figure out. And that's why Maimonides believes right. and where so he like, discusses people's characteristic traits. He says, study all the way to the right, study all the way to the left, and then try to hit that center on. And that's wise. And that's what he calls a wise man. Like, the, that's his definition of a wise man. So I've got to watch, like, CNN and One American and, News. <laughs> and, and then i got to find right determined. somewhere in the middle there, like, Aristotle's golden mean is exactly. going to be truth. Or the or, most the most truth that you could get from how far the right and left went. I mean, right, they're going to keep on going further and further, and therefore your center is going to become more and more profound. I mean, think about it this way. Think about if the right and left are over here, like, they're only a foot away from each other. So the center is maybe an inch but when they when they expand and the right and left become further 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 away from each other and you keep mm -hmm. on stunning your center becomes more more profound right right and I'm more pinpoint that this, that this exists in judaism because you know in buddhism you have what's called shudo which means the middle way you have aristotle with the golden mean you know it sounds like like this is a wisdom that that all kinds of cultures all over the map have come to and that is that 
that the reality, right, is probably somewhere in the middle of the conflicting arguments. So, so the conflict is healthy, right? So identifying what we're fighting about, identifying where we disagree, what the logic so behind it is what's important. But the only way you'll figure that out is if you really know how to decipher conflict. You have to be able to understand where the right is. Let's make believe every conflict's right and left. But wait, first first we have to know we're in a conflict. Oh, big time. Right? Like that, see, because that's, that's where I think today our conversation starts is, is, is it healthier to just avoid conflict, focus on agreement? Look, yeah, there, this is a problem. This is a conflict. We don't see this the same way, but you know what? We, we see these five other things the same way. So that's good enough. Is it better to focus on that in a marriage or in a relationship? Or is it better to, 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 to dive into the conflict and look at the conflict in a constructive way? Again, I, I'm not suggesting just the existence of conflict means, oh, we're out of sync and it's bad and we're, we're, we're doomed or you're going to end up in my office. You know, it, it, It's a question of, is it healthier to identify the conflict or that conflict is there first, as a first principle, that we have a conflict. Once we, how are we going to define the rules of engagement to get out of that conflict is a whole nother 50 more shows. How do, do we identify it or do we just go, yeah, let's not look at that right now. Let's just focus on the fact that, you know, like I got a kid, he's good at 10 things and there's three things he's bad at. I'm just going to focus on the 10 things he's good at and make him feel good about himself. And I'm not going to worry about the three things that maybe it's not his best aptitude. That's, is that better? Is it I better mean, to lean you, into the conflict? I mean, if you study any 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 of the of the major psychologists, if you study if you study Jung, Freud, and 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 the further you go back, everyone's idea is that internal conflict manifests reality, which is your life, which is chaotic, which doesn't you have to figure out some meaning behind it, your hierarchy of values and meaning, and how those two things coincide. So. Conflict is the point of what you know in life you need to work on. I mean, the, the idea that every single conflict in your life should either be prevented, I mean, it should stay... Mm -hmm. I mean, you ever watch Sleeping Beauty? Sure. So I've traced back Sleeping Beauty all the way to Aristotle, believe it or not. And I'm, I'm trying to even trace it back even further. I first traced it back to Maimonides in his Guide of Perplex. Um, Sleeping Beauty, the way Maimonides would understand it is this... Um, you being you is God being God. So that's let's 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 come out with that idea, that philosophical perspective that you doing what you're supposed to do is the total manifestation of God manifesting the way God is supposed to manifest. Sure. And that means that there's some predestiny, there's some hierarchy set of values that are telling you that's your Pinocchio, that's your Geppetto, that's telling you how to act. And if you acted, you could accomplish amazing things. And if you don't act it, then you went off the path, right? Mm -hmm. And now you have a conversation with yourself of, well you have to have some sort of confusion and some sort of conflict to be able to see if you could actually manifest God. I mean, some type of darkness to be able to see the light, sure. right? You're not going to recognize that light, which the philosophers gave this terminology. They said that prophecy is the power of a kiss between the subconscious and the conscious brain. The predestined brain and the brain that doesn't know what's going on. The, it's the kiss of your destiny Right? Prophecy is that I, I now see my destiny. It's the kiss of the destiny to the actual body before it actually happens. Mm. So you can either live out your destiny or you could actually visualize your destiny. There's this practice that has been written in, in the 11th century called Kahin, which was this um, Middle, West, Middle Eastern practice of meditating enough 
until you actually perceive your future characteristic traits and how they're going to manifest. And it was this huge practice that even Jewish philosophers and Jewish mystics adapted. And that's only by realizing that you have conflict. And the idea is, and this is how the idea of Sleeping Beauty came out, which is a great movie. Um, The idea of Sleeping Beauty is that the king and queen finally have a kid because it's difficult to have children. It's the idea that it's scary to have children. I mean, put yourself in a six-year-old body watching Sleeping Beauty. They don't, once upon a time, a king and queen couldn't have children. It's like, because that's scary. They don't understand the mm-hmm. biology of it. It's just something. something's complicated. Like maybe they didn't want to have children. Like right. that's what kids think. Well, why wouldn't you want to have children? Well, you have to be a hero to have children because you know they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And you know they're going to have only pain and the chance of success is almost slim to none. And they're going to have way more pain than happiness in this world. And you're being such a hero and you're bringing that thing in the world when your own life hasn't been that great to begin with. And the mother finally brings that child into this world. And there comes the christening, which is the idea how life is going to manifest with the least amount of pain. If you accept that someone died for your sins, it will manifest to the least amount of pain. So they don't invite someone to the christening. They don't invite Maleficent. Maleficent is, is Mother Nature. Um, I understand Maleficent from the research that I did based on Aristotle. It's actually puberty. It's actually emotions, Maleficent. In the movie, they don't paint it out that way. And in different, I've heard different people spoke, speak about it, including Jordan Peterson. And he compares Maleficent to just pain. It's something much more specific. It's the pain of puberty. It's the pain of confusion. It's the pain of chaos without any understanding. It's the pain of emotions that are higher than logic. It's something very, very, very deep. Uh, the visceral response. Yeah. And it's like, basically, it's the hierarchy of life. Think about what's our really hierarchy of life. It's our emotions. That's what governs us. And we don't even know why we get emotional when we get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't recall who said it, but I, I remember someone saying to me once that we make the mistake of thinking of understanding humans as thinking machines who sometimes feel. And the reality is we are feeling machines that sometimes think. So the feelings are is our Geppetto. Right. And those feelings, we don't know if they're true or not because they come through this gloss of pain. Like, is that a traumatic feeling? Is that right. feeling coming? What is a therapist asking you? Is your decision to do A coming from a good place or not a good place? Like, well, is it the godly place or is it the trauma place, the Satan place? Well, I think, though, that the, the, the genuine question that any therapy should be asking at the outset is what is it that you don't want to feel? I mean, that's like the, the yeah. starting point for yeah. therapy is what is it you're afraid to feel? What is it you don't want to feel? Because if you can get to that, if you can get to that in therapy, what is it you don't want to feel? Like, I very often will, will, with clients, say to them, okay, what are you afraid of? Because that's what's important. Like, what are you afraid of? Because a lot of times a guy comes in and he says, I want 50-50 custody. He's not talking about 50-50 custody. He's afraid. He's saying, I'm afraid I'm not going to be a real father again. I'm afraid I'm not going to have an active role in my children's lives. I'm going to be relegated to the place of a second-class parent. I'm going to just be the guy who shows up every other Shabbos and just hangs out with the kids and that's it. And that, that, that mom so what is, is it? So what charge. is he afraid of? He's afraid, he's afraid of, of not being a father. He's afraid of annihilation. So what do you think? So he's afraid of this annihilation. I, I, he's I not going to be who he is. He's, he's a father. He wants it. Part of who he is, is a father. I mean, once you have a child, there's a part of you that goes, this is who I am now. I'm a father. You see, I, I think if children at a young age learn how to deal with conflict, and if you study conflict well enough, you'll come up with this idea that what you're afraid of is that your emotions are going to govern your logic always. And sometimes you could say, well, I think I'm not going to be a father. What you're really afraid of is these emotions are way too big right now. And I don't know how they're going to manifest at all. 
I'm going through a divorce. She's emotional. I'm emotional. The kids are emotional. The emotions are going to govern our decisions. Yeah. And no logic. So I don't even know the name of the game. You know, yeah. one of the things that I find fascinating is the Jewish relationship to dogs that Jewish people have with dogs. It's a very, very weird relationship, especially that the Hebrew word of dog stands for it's full of emotions. That's the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word of dog is kalev. It's um, K-A-L-E-V, kalev, which stands for full of heart, full of emotions. The definition of a dog is, I don't know its logic. It's full of emotions, full of emotions more than there's logic even. And yeah. it will do illogical stuff. It will jump into fires. Yeah. It will jump into this. Yeah. And that's the definition. And that's scary for everybody, emotions yeah. that are more than logic. Because I don't know what the name of the game is now. It's emotions. Like, what's, what, what's the definition for it? And people are coming to the room and they're saying they have conflict, which is a logical thing. You got to use, in order to decipher conflict, you have to use the tools of logic. And you're like, well, maybe there's no logic yet for those given tools. It's called emotions. Maybe that noun or that pronoun to that emotion doesn't even exist yet. And you're creating some false logic for it. Like some false God, some false idea to this emotion that's way too big. And I think when people start divorce, they're like, wow, these emotions are going to be way, way too big. And the legal textbook or what I'm allowed to fight about is only so small. It's right. like maintenance, child custody, this, right. this. And I got to go figure out. And like, if you're religious, then you have a few more things to fight about. Like a few, like you have the religious divorce and the religious gap. Mm -hmm. And what I try to do is, A, see the person's capability of how they understand conflict. Do they understand conflict as a room of growth? Is criticism their ally if they're trying to grow? Did they ever have a relationship, and a healthy relationship with conflict, internal or external conflict? Or were they like Sleeping Beauty, that they didn't invite conflict to their christening at all. They didn't invite emotions that are bigger than logic. You know what happens there? The king, which is the father, um, which I look at him as the tyrannical father. He looks amazing. He actually hides his daughter in the forest for a couple of years that she shouldn't deal with pain. And he also destroys every needle in the whole kingdom, which is the curse that she right. said when you touch and you poke and you'll, you'll touch blood and the idea is, I believe the idea is, and I've heard different people say it differently, but I believe the idea is, when you will bleed the first time. Right, it's right. the highest parable of emotions in, 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 in the human psychology. And what happens is in the movie, it's, it's, it's hilarious. She's right before her birthday because things always happen the day before they're supposed to happen, which in right. divorce is, is the key to everything. Right. Like the day before, the day before she falls in, in love with this prince right. and then he disappears and she goes into this post-traumatic stress disorder and falls apart because she was in love for three and a half minutes. You know those kids? Yeah. And you know those ladies? Those are ladies who have never felt pain in their life. They've been so protected or like Freud would call the edible mom, mm. right? Or the idea that the, the snake that protects their eggs by eating them and killing them, those children are weak. They don't know how to deal with conflict. They fall yeah. apart by conflict. And I think that conflict has to be introduced at a very young age to children. You don't want to go to sleep at night. That's a conflict. I think you really do want to go to sleep. No, I'm doing, I'm forcing you. No, I really think you want to go to sleep. Like if you would be in my, I, my, if you would be a dad, you would tell your children to go to sleep. No, I wouldn't. I would let my kids party the whole entire night. Right. That is the first conflict that dads have to talk to their right. children about. And I see the ones who are out of practice. I see the sleeping beauties when they come into Besden or they come into a mediation room. And those people are, it's very difficult to help those people who have never dealt with conflict in a healthy way. Conflict is needed desperately in our system and we need to become professionals and dealing with conflict in a healthy way to not allow conflict to be traumatizing to not allow people to want to deal with conflict yeah i i mean i think fun at, at the core what you're really talking about is putting people in a position where they understand where they are in internal conflict because i think you know to to take it back to the topic of of the voices in your life when you're in conflict so you've got 
mom, you got dad, you got your girlfriends, you got your cousins, you got your friend down the street who got divorced and has their own opinions of it. So, you, you know, you have a Greek chorus of people that are just giving you their view of, 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 of what conflict you're going through and how to go through it. And it's informed by all their own stuff and their own emotional state. So you find yourself in this position where, you know, all these voices are coming at you with roughly the same volume, and then you're just constantly in conflict, right? You're, you're, you're being told one thing by a religious presence in your life, being told something else by your attorney, you're being told something else by your spouse, and what they're saying their attorney is saying, perhaps, if you're still talking to them directly. So it, it gets very tricky, but I think um, at the core of what you're saying, you're talking about how messy emotions are. I mean, the reason you want to protect Sleeping Beauty if she's your daughter from Maleficent is you want to protect her from how messy emotions are and how hard to navigate they are and how look I what, early on in my parenting I remember a, a friend who was a more advanced parent he had older kids I was talking to him about something with one of my sons and he said you know one of the hardest things to do in life is watch your children be in pain necessary pain necessary. like they there there is pain that is unnecessary and then there's pain that's necessary and children are and, and, and smarter people than us have written about it you know anti-fragile you know that children find strength by being put into conflict and then resolving that conflict and if you if you protect your child from conflict their entire life they become an adult that can only function only perfect under perfect circumstances and rarely is the world presenting you with perfect circumstances and certainly i mean in marriage certainly not because marriage is the emotional state of another person is going to be living with my emotional state and there are going to be times where those two things are going to be out of whack yeah i call marriage the 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 officiation of emotional emotions and logic where emotions are always going to win yeah logic will always lose yeah you know carl jung one time took a psychedelic okay this is my version of the story sure but Carl Jung has a, he wrote a few um, visions that he had. Um, one of his visions were after he fell on a mountain. I think he was taking a walk in some type of event. And it was, I think, in 1939. And they gave him some type of potato or mushroom. Mm -hmm. And it caused him to trip and hallucinate. And he writes during his hallucination that he reached a very high level of mysticism. That he felt that he was the marriage between strength and beauty. Now he wasn't sure if he was the marriage itself or he was officiating the marriage. Mm -hmm. So I've studied I've studied his works and what he've meant a lot for a long time, and I believe he meant this idea. The idea of this world is to unify opposites, because the god of the mystics is the god of everything and nothing. It's a very very complex idea. Mm. That means there are certain people who believe God is everything, like it's pantheism. Certain people believe God is nothing, and the god of the mystics is that God is everything and nothing. Like the, 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 the great leaders of the Hasidic communities always started saying that God has, God has nothing to his nothingness. Mm -hmm. That's how nothing God could be also. Mm -hmm. right? He's in nothing also. He's not only in everything. Mm -hmm. And counter to what Nietzsche wrote, how God is dead and the postmodern world killed God and that whole idea and the sure. good and the evil. And it's the idea that in every argument, you will be able to recreate a new God. It's the idea that a marriage, a conflict. Conflict is that you have an idea governing you and you don't know how to live with it in this chaotic world. That is the idea of conflict. It's like, what does God want me to do in this chaotic world where it doesn't fit the description? I don't believe God could live in this world. He has to go through human bodies. And the human body is full of internal conflict. It's, it's full of animalistic instincts. It's sure. full of divine instincts, humanistic instincts. That is conflict. 
You see those who have never worked on themselves, who have never trained themselves. You see that when they get adults, they don't know how to live. They don't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Everything is way too personal. And it is because they've never had conflict, have a conversation with them. And I really think it's shame on those parents for what they do to those children to protect them so much. It's like Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, it's just too many bumpers. And, and, and so if the person's never had their feeling life come into conflict with their circumstances, you know, the, 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 uh, there's a poem, I don't remember who it's by, but one of the verses in it is, um, what is nobility of soul? What, what, is, what is suffering but no, nobility of soul at odds with circumstance? And uh, uh, Rothke, I think, wrote it. Yeah, in a dark time by Rothke. Is that what what is what is suffering but nobility of soul at odds with circumstance? And I think the nobility of the soul or your feeling life is always going to come into conflict with circumstance. So if we know then that children are going to again, if we know children are going to come into conflict in their lives as adults or even as children still. Why do we spend more time teaching them algebra than teaching them how to be in conflict? I really do believe sometimes when I do divorces for people that it's really the first time they have had such a direct conflict land in their lap that that requires them to look at their emotional state in an honest way. Like, what am I really upset about? What do I really want? What do I... Because again, marriage is the default... Isn't that pathetic that divorce has to teach you that? Well, I think that if we could if we could arm people with that knowledge before they got married. Again, if you if you said to people before they get that's one of the reasons why I'm always talking about prenups. I think prenups are really good. Not whether you sign one or not. Just having a conversation about should we get a prenup to me is an invitation to talk about imagine an us that's in conflict. What, what will you do? What will I do? What will you need? What will I need? Like, what are the basic things we're going to need? What will the rules of engagement be? And are we going to trust them to be written by the New York State legislature? Because that seems kind of strange to me. Like, you're letting your, you know, the reason you have a will is because you don't want to trust the state of New York and legislators you haven't made, you haven't met to decide how your things will be given away when you die. You write a will so you can say, hey, this is how I want things to be done when I inevitably pass away. Well, why wouldn't you have the, at least have the conversation with your spouse about if this goes south? Yeah, so... You know, there's, there's this very interesting idea that uh, the, the 13th century philosophers discuss, and they bring into the conversation the, the idea of, of, which I think is fascinating, I think very limited people know this. Do you know where the word get comes from? No. So Actually, I have no idea. You have no idea. It's, it's, I, th- I think if you ask probably 99% of Orthodox Jews, they'll have no clue. That means, first, we all know what the get is. A get is that piece of parchment right. that when a religious couple wants to get divorced, and they want to separate. The man is supposed to have written up. He's supposed to write. He could ask someone else to write it for him as a power. I got attorney. to watch one. It was fascinating. It's great. As a it's secular cool. person, I got to watch the where I read the whole script too. I got the whole thing about here. Here's the paper. Here's the pen. Write me a get. And then the person like you're not allowed to to. It's the guy. You have to give. He had to give him this this paper yeah. and this parchment. And then the guy had to do it. And the whole thing with the, the whole hand. Thing is cool. It's the whole such thing a. Is very, it was. A I very, felt like I was watching something that was like this ancient practice. It is an ancient practice. Yeah, and it it's, was fascinating. I got handed like a laminated card so I could follow along like I was in church on Sunday. Oh, so I know who you went to. I yes. know you that laminated yes. card. Yeah, he gave me the... And I, I really felt... But I really felt a sense of like awe 
it is. that I was able to see this thing that many people who aren't Jewish would never get to see in their whole life, to get to see it and follow along with it. And it had been after a long and ugly divorce, and ultimately we litigated, and the litigation you know, went nowhere for both of these people, and then we ended up sitting down with a, with a rabbi mediator, and this person helped us broker a deal, did a lot of shuttle diplomacy back and forth, so similar things to what you do. And, and it was very good. And, and, and ultimately, um, we all stuck around for the get because we struck the deal, signed the deal, and then said, okay, let's do the get right now. And we did the get right then and there. And there was like this, you know, the rabbis were there. We had a whole group. And I remember thinking like, this is fascinating, but I know nothing about the history of it. So the history is so great. But one part, and we could, we could have like hundred and hundred and yeah. see of uh, different. Um, well, this is a hot topic. Oh, it's a hot there's topic. There's a lot, lot, lot going on in the world of like weaponizing a get, yeah, and, we, we and defending against a get, and how does the secular versus the 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 the, the religious fall into that? So that's gonna we're gonna we're gonna have yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun on that. But, sure. but I really believe that something that's very interesting is the philosophical perspective that the 13th century philosophers brought to place when they established that get is a fake word. It's not a godly word. God never said it. It's a word that means 12. Because the way you spell the Hebrew word get is in English it would like be G-E-T. So in Hebrew, you don't have vowels. So then it would be G-T. G, which is Gimel, is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. T, which would be Tess, is the ninth. Nine plus 12. Not, wow. Nine plus two. What did I say? Nine, nine plus, plus three four. would be 12. A get has 12 lines. That's why it's called get. That's the only reason. Now, now you're going to ask, so why does it have 12 lines? So the philosopher says that if you look at any Bible, the actual Torah scroll, the actual, actual scroll that you walk into every synagogue, they will have. That's what they dance. That's what's cherished. That's what was burnt when people wanted to revenge any Jewish belief. You'll find that it's sept- it, there's <clears throat> different parts. You'll have the first part, which is known as Genesis, Beratius in the beginning. Then there's another volume. And there are five volumes, right? Between each volume, there's a separation to show that this is the end of Genesis and this is the start of the next one. Mm-hmm. There are four lines to separate. The four lines that are not written in the scroll. So between one and two, you have four. Between two and three, you have four. Between three and four, you have four, which is four, eight, twelve. Now, between four and five, we don't count. And that's for a complicated reason why not. And we'll discuss that at a different time. But it's the debunk of Christian myth, yeah. why you don't count those four lines. So you have four, eight, 12 lines in the Torah text that has not been written. And Judaism believes that this Torah text is their hierarchy. It's their subconscious. It's what they're supposed to want to aspire to. You have 12 lines that are not written. You write that down in the get, and that's why it gets called get. It's you're writing down your new destiny. It's a crazy idea. Wow. It's a very, it's like you get to, you get to write down predestined ideas. Yeah, but it has a very, actually, you know, it, 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 it invites a very modern view. Of it, it is a very modern because view. because a very modern view of it is you're you are you are now writing the next chapter. You're you are now control right and rewriting right right. You're 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 reclaiming agency to the extent we have agency as human beings. So now let me ask you a deep question. In the divorce, which is deep divorce between the masculine and femininity of an individual or sure. the couple, sure. And who do you think who should be writing this down? the emotions that on this that's deeper than logic and way higher than logic or the person who only has logic who should be writing down the future the one who's in control of the emotions which have which are so divine and so deep that they're higher than anybody's logic to actually articulate like what should be articulated is 12 lines 
well, the emotional I, aspect of the person or the logical aspect of the person? Well, if you, if, I mean, my personal view of that would be if you say to me, I have 12 words to hear from someone. Do I want to hear 12 words of their logic or 12 words of their emotion? I would actually want to hear their emotion. How do you hear emotion? Through logic. Maybe. So you, sure, would, you sure. would have to hear logic. So who, would, who should be writing this? The power of logic or the power of emotion? Well, the power, power if, if by, again, if emotion is chaos, logic is order, then, then you want to found anything on order controlling for the chaos right or to help the chaos is I, the god of chaos is the god that begs for order right 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 because right. chaos, chaos right. which has, is not a problem right. is order right or a fake sense of order right so the god of chaos is the the, the god of emotions is the mm -hmm. god of chaos mm -hmm. is sleeping beauty mm -hmm. and it begs it begs it begs for order it begs for logic even if the logic is on a lesser level than the emotions I mean, ideas are always well, going to die. I mean, Logic I, are always... Imagination is chaos. Yeah, and, creativity and is chaos. reality is order. Creativity, reality that's why, order. that's what right, creativity right. has to so, do with the feministic part of an individual. Right, so that, that's where my original answer came from. My original answer came from, I'm, I'm interested in... Because look, if logic, if we look at logic like order, mathematics, structure, then, then you can just be reciting the... lot. See, for, for, if, if I look at it in my relationship with you, there is an aspect of you that is incredibly well-read, and that's a lovely thing, and I enjoy talking to you because, but, but if talking to you is just cliff notes, like you're just summarizing for me the wisdom that you read someplace else, then I, I just need a library card. I don't need to talk to you. I can just sit down and read that stuff. Or if I'm lazy, okay, you can be my cliff notes. You can be my cliff notes, and you can tell me all the things. What I'm interested in what is, is the synthesis of that logic by your creative mind, right? By your emotional wisdom, by your intuition, by your heart. I don't just want to hear you quote other people to me. I want to hear what do those quotes mean to you? Why do they resonate with you? What in your life experience has caused you to validate or invalidate those things? So for me, I don't think you can write the next chapter. I don't think the 12 lines can be just the logic or just the emotion, just the chaos or just the order. I think in some ways you, you have to have the best of both and control for the worst of both. Thank you for listening to Argue in Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please consider leaving us a review and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen or watch. You can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch in the comments or, of course, on our social media. See you next week for a brand new episode of Argue in Peace.